Hello everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Podcasting with Callum Baird. This is the first podcast I've done in quite a while now, uh, about a month or so. Uh, I'm indoors this time, the last one I was outdoors for. And I've been meaning to do a podcast for ages, like I said in the last one that I did back in July. I've been meaning to do one for ages. Uh, initially when I opened when I opened up this podcast, uh, I was going to say there, but started the podcast, there's a better way of putting it, I was going to do one once a week, uh, and then it went to one a month, and now it's gone to one whenever I really want to do one, so I'm going to try and go back to doing once a week, um, and getting that, getting that regular, um, a few people were listening to it in week, listening to it weekly, and were seemed to be uh, liking the the content, um, comment on it, commenting on it to me, uh, getting in touch with me by email and stuff like that, letting me know that they were enjoying what was happening. Um, I'm I'm live on Instagram. I'm doing the Instagram live at the moment, so if anybody pops up on that, uh, wants to ask a few questions, they can. It's three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Uh, the pubs are open, so it's unlikely that um, I'll get floods of questions this week. But hey, the, the stream's there, we'll see what happens. And if anybody chucks in some questions to me as I go along, um, that's exactly what will be um, what will happen. I'll just answer them as they come. Uh, first of all, thanks to all the patrons, as, as, as always, who uh, contribute uh every month to me um if you want to become a patron of what i do my music uh and a few other stuff that i'm going to be talking to you about in this podcast i don't just do music now uh well that's the main thing but i'll, I'll come on to that but if you want to become a patron of my work head over and head over to patreon.com forward slash callum baird songs and um we've got jack hinks joining us on the face on the damn it man instagram live stream uh and um yeah, if you you want to ask a question, Jack, about anything, my man, you just let me know, uh, and I'll answer it on the podcast. Uh, so uh, I'm just going to take a sip from my tea because I made a nice cup of tea, and it's probably going to go cold soon. Oh man, I make a really good cup of tea. Um, so what's been happening since the last of the podcast? Um. Quite a lot, uh, actually. I had to make notes for this one. Usually, I I, I can just sort of say, oh, I did this, I did that, I did that, I did this, and this is what's ahead. But I've, because it's been a couple of months nearly since I last did one, I uh, recorded a podcast. Um, it's been quite a lot, so I had to make some notes and go through my diary, um, which has been an in, which was interesting. Um, you know, going through your diary in a time when you're not supposed to be very busy or or not not necessarily not supposed to be very busy but you know it's locked down a lot of normal social life isn't really there a lot of professional life isn't really there but still I've somehow managed to keep myself busy and entertained um I think most people have as well which is a curious um something I didn't foresee happening at the start of all this when it kicked off back in March whenever it was exactly it came to the UK I can't quite remember mm. Mm. That's a good cup of tea. That is a really good cup of tea. So, I have been, um, I've been, I've been away. I went down to Yorkshire, um, with my girlfriend and her family, um, 
we we stayed uh, in a little town called Gunnerside in the north of the Yorkshire Dales. We had a nice little cottage. We were there for for a, a week, I think, uh, and it was really nice. It was sunny quite often. It didn't rain very much. We were out walking about, lots of fresh air, um, lots of insect bites. Uh, I lost my phone at one point, but managed to find it again. Uh, well, I didn't find it. My Helen, my girlfriend's mum, found it. Um, and um, yeah, it was um, Katie, um, my girlfriend's sister. My girlfriend's called Ellie, by the way. Uh, it was her thirtieth, uh, so we were away for that, and we celebrated her thirtieth birthday while we were away. Um, uh, what else? What else happened while we were away? Uh, yeah, about about a week after we got back from Yorkshire, whole swathes of the place were put into lockdown by the the English government uh, or the UK government. I, I'm not really sure how it works over in England, down in England. Also up in Scotland, we've got the Scottish government, part of the UK. But um, yeah, UK government, but in England. Yeah, yeah. I need to go back to my devolution stuff. It's been a long time since I've studied that and even re- or even read about it in passing comment um, but I'm not surprised because when, when I was down in Yorkshire I was in a, I was in a Tesco uh, and I, I'd gone in to get some stuff for making mojitos with and I got all the stuff and I came back out and realised I didn't have all the stuff I hadn't bought soda water which is like the vital component so I had to go back in and get the soda water uh, and I, as I went in this woman coughed into her hand full on coughed into her hand put her hand in a trolley and then like said out loud, oh no, not that one, to herself, oh no, not that one. And then she she took another trolley. So she coughed into her hand and put her hand on one trolley and then changed her mind and then took another one. Um, so I'm not really surprised that parts of Yorkshire went into lockdown if that's kind of the way they were taking the virus. Uh, if that's if that's uh... And there was another guy as well that when I was in the first time getting the stuff for the mojitos, he, um, he sneezed like very loudly but didn't cover his face um uh he i i i i saw him like he was walking towards like sort of not towards me but like he was like you know he wasn't you know what i mean he was like straight in my gaze in my view and he sneezed and didn't cover his mouth or his face or whatever which was um you know another another nice thing you know you know in the middle of a pandemic uh, and you've got folk coughing everywhere and touching stuff and just sneezing and not really caring. Uh, so I'm not. I wasn't really surprised to see that 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 had taken place. Obviously disappointed for those people and sad for those people, but um, I wasn't surprised. I don't know. If they're probably back out of lock, lockdown now. I'm not sure. Um, the 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 government just seems to be making up as they go along now. And um, um, yeah. So I wasn't I wasn't surprised by that. But that that was like. Um, that was a a low point in the trip away, I suppose. Just just a reminder that um that other people can put you at risk just like that. Um, even it doesn't matter how hard you're paying attention. I was wearing my face mask. Uh, I think I was in there on the Thursday before locked before uh face masks became compulsory in England. So the Thursday, so the face mask became compulsory in England on on a Friday and I think I was in that Tesco on a Thursday and there was only me and a few other people wearing masks um, which just baffled me um, so I don't know if that's um, do you know what I mean um, I don't know if that's uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? If that's typical of of m- most places, um, I don't know. I don't really. Um, I don't know. Obviously, now that that's been over a month since that came in, the mask wearing thing came into effect in uh, in England, but I I can't really remember what it was like in Scotland. There was a definitely like there was a definite week in between mass coming into force and the announcement being made, but I can't remember if people's how quickly people started wearing them before they became you know compulsory. Anyway, um, we went to an arboretum, which is like a a, a big I had big gardens and it had like animals and stuff, um, and really nice gardens, really, really nice, uh, old, old oak trees from, like, the time of Henry VIII and that, standing in the grounds, a really nice old house, but you couldn't go up to it, the house was in private grounds, um, but the rest of the stuff around about, uh, the plebs could walk around and have a look at, uh, you had to pay to get in, I think, but, you know, you could walk around and, and appreciate, and there was a raven, they had, like, a little bird sanctuary, <clears throat> and there was a raven, massive bloody thing it was, huge, well, for a, you know, for a raven, it was pretty big, and, um, it could talk, and I've got a video on my phone of this raven saying hello to people, and it's really, like, uh, well-to-do English accent, uh, which is, which is hilarious, um, but also quite, quite weird, like, the first time when you walked up to the cage, I'm not going to do the impression, because I don't want to, I don't want to be offensive towards the raven, it's, it's not their fault, but they were saying hello like some sort of sinister, like evil Bond villain, um, but with like a really posh London accent, uh, south of the river, or or north of the posh part. I can never remember. I don't think there is like a necessarily posh part of London, is there? It's a big melting pot of a city. Um, but you know what I mean—that really like um, Jacob Rees Mogg style accent and saying hello to you, it was quite sinister, but funny, funny, and I was glad, I'm glad I got to see that, that was, um, that was a definite highlight of the trip, a talking raven, um, and apparently they've learned to talk, because the, um, their evolution, they, um, they, they mimic the, the noise of, like, a, like a, a fox in distress or something like that, uh, to get the fox to come and break open the carcass of an animal that the raven can't break open. So they get the fox to come and like rip it open. The fox obviously gets what it what it wants for the from the carcass, and then the raven swoops in, and that's how they've developed this. Um, they mimic the noise. I'd love to hear that. That would be class. Um, obviously, a talking something that can say hello to you is pretty cool. Obviously, but I'd love to hear. Uh, a raven mimicking a fox because I can only imagine what that sounds like that would be class, I should YouTube that and see if that's an option on YouTube um, but I didn't know ravens could do any of those things until I was away so it was an education um, that experience what else have I been up to? that's enough about my holiday or my trip away uh, um, what else have I been up to? I'm going to take some more tea take on board some more tea Oh man, so good. Every sip sore is a reminder for me that I need to go to Tesco to buy some more honey. Because I'm running out. Um, I've been writing and recording some new songs. That's probably the thing I should say first. 
I, I had hoped to have them out by October. Um, but I don't know that's going to happen. I'm, I've recorded them and I'm really happy with the, the sort of rhythm guitar, the chords and the vocal. I'm quite happy with that. But there's like layers and stuff I want to add to it that um, I, I don't want to rush. I don't want to hurry into doing... Uh, when I recorded the last song, The Stones of Tomorrow, like the, the guitar tune at the end came to me quite quickly. Just from listening back to what I'd recorded, it came to my mind quite quickly. I had to play around a bit to get it and then practice it, obviously, and before I could record it. But with these ones, there's nothing really jumping out to my mind. Um, and I've outsourced one of the songs to one of my mates uh, to see if he can come up with some guitar parts for me. Because um, I, was, I wasn't struggling, but it was just like, I was making it too hard for myself and trying to force the issue. Um, so I did, well, I suppose it did become a struggle. Um, so I'm just taking my time a bit. I've tried to, I came up with a riff, I recorded it, and it didn't fit after all that. So I'd spent about a day or two practicing it. Maybe, yeah, about a day of practicing it, and then recorded it, and then listened to it back, and just like, this doesn't fit, like, it doesn't fit properly. Like, the bits of it make sense, but the whole the whole doesn't make doesn't work the parts work but the whole doesn't so um yeah so i i don't think i'm i'm going to rush that um i'll just see where it goes um but i'm happy with the songs i'm much happier than um i'm much happier than i normally am when i record a song uh, which is unusual for me normally i would record a song and be quite um tentative about it and not be sure if it's any good until it's out in the domain and people are listening to it which is um a real uh it's a real change for me to be like oh yeah i, I like that that's worked um so well, yeah we'll just see where it goes i don't want to rush it i don't want to throw that away uh by rushing it and trying to prize it out um i've been painting as well um i've really gotten into that about back in february march time uh, I began trying to draw. Um, I was never much of a a sketch artist or a painter or anything like that. Uh, at school, I always found it really frustrating, um, and I couldn't do it. And I never really wanted to do it either. Like, oh, I would have wanted to sit and paint. I just wa- I just wanted to go and play football and run around like a dafty, playing Star Wars or whatever. I didn't want to sit down and paint. Um, but I've started taking that taking that up. It's it's just a nice different option to have. I've talked about this in another podcast, but as it's as I've sort of developed it, and I'm not obviously not Monet, but I've gotten a lot better than where I was in February, and I can see that in my work, which is nice. And as I've sort of developed it, it's I've begun to appreciate it, which is obviously which is quite interesting. Um, and I've I've dabbled in different paints. I've used water paints, what water colors. I've used oil paints. Oil paints are really great. They're obviously really slick, but my god. They're such a, they're so messy. They're impossible to clean up with. Like, um, once it's out the tube, you, well, it's the same for any paint. Once it's out the tube, you can't get it back in. So you really have to be exact with what you use, and otherwise you're just chucking stuff away. Um, they're so messy. The the brush cleaner and the paint thinner and all that is really expensive as well. So um, I've landed on uh, acrylics, acrylic paints. They seem to be water solvent. Um, and if I get the brush into the water sort of quickly enough after I've used it the paint just comes right off um so yeah I, I, I'm i using them and I like the way that you load up the canvas with the acrylic paint and the, it then starts to stand out sort of 3D I quite like that um 
Um, so I've been using that quite a lot, and I, I did a painting that I'm actually looking at right now because it's right in front of my face. Um, where I'm sitting, it's like a sort of sunset, but I've done a really like um raw pink, and I don't know where that really where that idea came from. I just kind of thought oh, I'm going to use a do a pink sky, and quite a, a little bit of water at the bottom with some like um like cliffs and that around the sea, and there's a wee boat, and there's a rock, and there's a little reflection going on. And I'm quite pleased with that. It's probably the, my favourite one that I've done so far. And uh, I've not not painted for over a week, but um, yeah, that, that's definitely the, the, the benchmark I've set myself to try and improve on that if I can. So, and that's nice, you know, that's nice to say that I started something in February and we're, what are we now, September, and what's that, seven months, I think it is, and I've managed to to go from not being able to do something at all to produce something that I'm quite happy with and, and want to start improving on so that's quite nice and there's lots of people I'm sure who have picked stuff up during the lockdown period um, and and have managed to master something that they never could they couldn't do before or have tried before you know what I mean so it's nice to uh, it's it's nice to have that um, on your on my list of things that I'm, I'm working on which is quite nice Um yeah so i'm not sure where i'll go next with the painting uh i kind of like doing landscapes I, I really like a nice i don't know if this comes with age or if it's something i've always liked and just never noticed it but i really like a nice sunset view you know especially down at the sea or where there's water i love the reflections of the of the light onto the water um I've got some great pictures on my phone from being out walk walking during lockdown, uh, going out walking in like April, and through the summer as the the season like you know the seasons turned, <clears throat> and and the sunsets just spectacular and um so I I really like that and I really like trying to recreate it when I'm painting, um but I I also would like to do you know, I'd like to be able to. I don't know, I, I'm not necessarily sure where I'd like to, to take the paint, and I'd like to do, um, I'd like to be able to paint people, uh, but not in massive detail, but at least be able to give the impression that there's people in my paintings. Um, the closest I've come to in the one I just described with the pink sunset is I've put a little boat in there, so you'd imagine there's somebody on the boat, um, but I, uh, I'd, I'd like to be able to, to do that if I could. So, but we'll just see. Um, and if there's any of you listening to this that's that's picked up something during during lockdown, uh, comment on the uh, wherever you're watching this, and um, let me know what it is that you've gotten into and what your process has been for developing it. Um, I really think that uh, I really I really think that it's 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 healthy to have these things that you can. Dab, you know, dabble with uh, in my spare time when I wasn't playing music. You, you know, it's not easy to sit, even if you're just sitting playing your guitar, um, not even not writing or, but just playing and just strumming on your guitar. It's not easy to do that every day. It gets a bit repetitive. You're physically you can't you can't really do it. You my at least my fingers start to nip if I play my guitar two or three days. On like if I had a if I, when live music was a thing, if I had four gigs in a week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, by the Sunday night my fingers would be really sore and I couldn't play my guitar on the Monday. So it's not easy to have that and what I would eventually end up doing is just drifting away 
and playing something on the PlayStation or uh, you know just scrolling mindlessly through Twitter. And so it's nice to have some something else, uh, some another creative outlet. I suppose is one is the simple way of putting it. But having a, just something else that you can practice and that's not. I, I feel a little bit when you play the PlayStation for more than an hour, like a brain rot begins to set in. And um, when you turn it off, you remember it's no real, uh, which is, um, yeah, you remember it's no real life and um, you kind of feel like anything you've achieved on the game suddenly then doesn't really matter. Or at least that's how I feel um, about it. So I still like the odd game of FIFA, the odd GTA rampage. Um, but, I mean, I've not played my PlayStation now in over a week and I've, I actually feel quite good about it. I feel quite pleased with that. And I've not... It's been a couple of times I think, oh, I'll maybe play FIFA and then I don't... I end up not having time for it in my day and I don't... I don't worry about it. Whereas before, um, I'd give myself a hard time for not playing my PlayStation. Like, what's that all about? Um, so, yeah, it's nice to have different things to be speculating with or, I suppose, is how you would put it in today's modern financialized times which i'm going to come on to soon uh, more on that soon more tea hang on this is going cold so i'm just going to down it hang on a minute man that was nice i need to go to tesco once i've done this once i've recorded this podcast it's quarter past three now on friday the 4th of september 2020 I've been watching the Tour de France as well, that started last weekend, I've been watching that, dropping in and out of it. Um, Today's stage was quite interesting, but I just, um, I've got other stuff I wanted to do, I wanted to do this podcast, I need to go to Tesco, so I'll try and grab the highlights or something like that if I can. Um, But it's been really interesting, it's been quite, um, I'm not going to explain the Tour de France to you, because some of you probably won't even watch it, Um, uh, and it's quite complicated, and I don't, I don't fully for example, do you know, if I'm watching a game of football and a team goes from playing a 4-5-1 formation to playing 4-2-4, I'd be able to tell you that that was an attacking move and the manager's done it because he wants his team needs to get a goal and they're trying to, they need to get a goal because they want to finish in this position in the league and they want to win this trophy, blah, blah, blah. Whereas when somebody does something in the cycling, they make a move or they don't make a move, I need to wait for the the commentators to give us their analysis, not all the time, but some most of the time, to give us their analysis on why so and so's done that and hasn't done this, and um, so I'm not fully up to speed on the the cycling thing, and I really only watch it, watch the Tour de France because it's on every day pretty much, and it's on two channels as well. So when one goes to adverts, you can switch to the other. Um, but I'm much better and much more clued up than where I was when I started watching it back in twenty twelve or. 13 or 14, something like that, whenever whenever Chris Froome won his first, I think that was 13, was the first one I watched, um, I think so, I think that's the first one, so I'm a lot more clearer on, on what's going on than I was then, but there's still stuff that happens that I, I don't even notice and I need to, I need people to explain it to me, um, but hey, never mind, it's something to do during the summer as well, so I'm glad that's on, I've been dipping in and out of that and enjoying it, and yesterday, um, on Wednesday, I bought a MIDI keyboard and it arrived yesterday and I spent a lot of the afternoon in deep frustration at not being able to figure out how to get it to work. But this morning, uh, after speaking to a couple of mates 
who've got MIDI keyboards. Uh, I figured it out with their help, and um, I've been playing some tunes on it today, and just farting around, just trying to see what different settings I've got in Ableton, that I've different patches and plugins and that that I can use, and seeing what noises I can make. Uh, and I've come up with a couple of tunes. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play them for you just now because they're really like just me figuring out um, what what what's what. But um, yeah, I'm quite interested in that. And the first challenge for me, uh, I, I've thought about buying a, a keyboard for years, like um, for a long time. But um, the technology's been advancing so far, and and I never really had a good laptop to get one, and I just kept putting off putting off and then the price of it and then not knowing what the right one to get and not having the not having the time as well became a factor and not having the space etc etc um and then if, about back in may or something like that i was i, I was determined that was that i was going to buy one like um i was going to buy one it had to be done and then changed my mind again i talked myself up to into it built myself up to buying one and then just changed my mind and then I, I just, a mate of mine, he's bought one and it looks, has his class and he's been producing some really nice stuff with it. Um, and I just thought, oh, I've got to do it. Like, I really, something I've talked about for ages, I've got to do it. Um, so I, I bought it and yeah, I, I'll see where it goes. Um, the first sort of thing I want to do is write a little tune, like a, a nice little bit of background music for the podcast. That seems to be the thing that most people do with our podcast. So I'm going to get a nice little background tune, or some or a wee theme tune for the podcast, and have that every week. Um, so that's the first thing I I want to work on, and then we'll just see where it goes. I'd like to create like ambient sort of music for the back for in the background. Um, I really enjoy listening to like instrumental classical music, uh, like and people like Morricone and uh, Sakamoto and their music when I'm painting, so I'd like to quite imitate stuff like that, if I could, uh, and um, build up to that, and build that up, that's what I'd like to take that, and then obviously add in some nice little effects in that into my songs, um, to give it a bit more scope, so aye, we'll see where that goes, once, the, once I've been to Tesco I might come back and fiddle around with it again and see what I can come up with. See what see have a look. I didn't get very far in the patches. I found a patch that I liked and started like recording a tune with it, which um which was fun. So I and I've still got more to go, which will be great. So um and I'll have to go through it two or three times before I can find the uh, the patch that's right for me. Um so yeah, that's what I've been up to in my cultural production. Uh and yeah, it's quite exciting, it's quite exhilarating to have couple of different things on the go you know sing singing and songwriting doing a bit of painting seeing what happens with that and then obviously having the keyboard as well and now is to something else to engage me so yeah it'll be fun to see where that goes and obviously the podcast too sorry that's some water i've been taken on um and i've been reading quite a bit as well um I read a really interesting book by a Canadian guy called Max Haven. Um, it's called Art After Money, Money After Art. And I got it from Pluto Press uh, in a sale they had back in like end of July. No, end of June, start of July. And um, they had a huge sale on. And they... 
I managed to get four or five books from them, and one of them was this book by Max Haven, and it covers a lot of areas, uh, and it was quite it was quite heavy to to read, and uh, he had to keep sort of repeating himself. I think he could tell the concepts he was introducing and explaining were were quite difficult to break down, so he had to repeat himself a little bit here and there, and sort of remind you on, on where where would where would come from. Um, and uh, I, it was really interesting though, all the same. And and I love those books that are quite heavy, and you've got to think about where you're. You've got to think about it, and you you put you you know you put the book down, and you you go away, and you have a little think about it, and you chew it over, and you come back to it the next day. I love those books. Um, I I don't really like reading novels or, or anything like that. I don't um. They don't really do anything for me. I I I like political books and philosophy and and stuff like that and so this book was really this book was good but it was quite heavy and it did weigh it was weighing on me by the end of it I did want to get it finished, um, but he does with a lot of different aspects of um, different areas uh sort of covering uh the political the political economy of the art world um, and then the wider political economy of our society, uh. How else would I describe it? Um, and uh, yeah, the 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 p- political economy in general, um, the influence of financialization on our society, and how art and money, um, encrypt one another, uh, as well as pretty much our whole life. Um, so really fascinating stuff he talked about. Uh, I'd maybe be interested in going into that in more detail, but I'll probably do it in another podcast. Because uh, the main theme of this one is I'm recapping my trip to Lisbon for Festa do Avante in 2016. So I'm going to get onto that in just a moment. So I don't really want to get bogged down in a debate about the political economy of the art world. Because that's massive and a bit of a rabbit hole uh, as well. So I'm just... Uh, but yeah, if you if you've, that sounds interesting to you uh, or something that uh, might be useful to you if you're researching or I don't know. I'd recommend it to you. It's called Art After Money, Money After Art by Max Haven. Uh, and really interesting book. I've recommended it to a few people already. Uh, and it's quite it's quite fascinating points of view. Um, and I say it's heavy. It's not hard, but you, you do need to concentrate when you're reading it. Uh, that, that, that's, I wouldn't read it before you go to your bed either because your mind will be chasing you. Um, but really good book. And I've moved on to another one by a guy called Dave Beach. Um, I haven't come across any of his work before and I'm really enjoying his book just now so I'm going to have to go and once this is done find, try and find some of his other work um, It's called his book's called Art and Post-Capitalism um, and it's a field I'm, I'm quite interested in researching further myself at one point um, you know I'm interested in how, how do we organise the arts in post-capitalist society and I suppose I'm going to kind of cover that when I talk about the festival in just a moment Um and what the implications of, um, what the implications of that would be, uh, yeah. So, so um, yeah. I suppose I'm I am going to cover that a little bit, but again, there's more detail to that. There's more to be had, and there's all sort of stuff about what is the what is the role of an artist, what's the nature of their work, what do we mean when we talk about post capitalism you know, all of these things, to what extent is something or someone or some place 
post-capitalist, you know, there's other bits, so there's, you know, a lot to get into that. Um, so I'm really interested in reading this book, and I'd like to research that further, if that's, um, if there's more to come, you know, I might read Dave Beach's book and think, ah, he's actually nailed it, there's no not much more to say. I'm two chapters in um, so far. Um, it's not a long book, it's only about 90 pages, I think, 100 pages, or maybe a bit more than that, actually. So, quite fascinating couple of books that I've read. So I'd recommend them to you on via Pluto Press. Um, I'm not sponsored by Pluto Press, but those are the only places I've seen seen selling those books, and they are published by them, so best to just go to source, really. Uh, what else have I done before we move on to our topic of the day? I did a gig last week. Oh, that was a weird noise my throat just made. I did a gig uh, last Wednesday for the We Shall Overcome Fight the Good Fight Club. Uh, we Shall Overcome is a it's a sort of collective, um, mu- musicians collective and all throughout the year for the last sort of four or five years um, musicians up and down the UK have been doing gigs, raising money for different organisations, um, creating solidarity for um, different organisations and um, the Fight the Good Fight Club was put together to so musicians could get because normally you don't really get paid for them it's you're donating your time to support uh these other organizations like food banks and um mental health places and homeless shelters and hostels and things like that um so the fight the good fight club was put together um by joe solo and pete yen and matt hill um musicians uh from down south (coughs) excuse me i need to get some water on the go here throat's playing and the this time the money was all going to the musicians and it was um it was it was put together for them. So I, I did a gig on the twenty sixth of August. Uh Jess Silk did a gig, uh Joe did a gig, um Naomi Bedford and Paul Oh jeez, just forgotten his last name, it was there and it's gone. I'm really sorry, Paul. It's not impersonal, man. I'm really shite with names. I'll I'll remember your face for the rest of my life if you're listening to this. Jesus, that's awful. Jesus Christ, that's so bad. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my phone up and see if I can find the picture and tell you Paul's name because that's really disrespectful and it's not personal, Paul. I'm just shocking with names for some reason. And I, I never used to be, but now, now I am. Now I really struggle to remember people's names. Their face, you know. I'd be walking down the street and somebody would walk past me. And if I was with someone, I'd say, "Oh, what's his name again? I recognise him. Where's he? F- where's he? F- what's what's his beef? Who's he? Paul Simmons, Naomi Bedford, and Paul Simmons. So Joe did a gig on the the fifth of August. Jess on the twelfth. Paul and Naomi on the nineteenth. I did one on the twenty sixth. Uh, Carol Hodge did a gig yesterday. Uh, no Wednesday. So it's carrying on, and it's it's uh, it's a nice little collective. There's a Facebook group. I'll put the link to the group in the description for the SoundCloud. And you can go and join that and watch live music every Wednesday online. Um, and, and it's good fun. I enjoy playing. I had a nice little crowd watching along. And um, it was nice. It was, and it's it's another um, another live gig on Facebook, which I'm kind of, each one I'm getting used to and doing doing slightly different setups for it, slightly different songs. But, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice thing. And it's probably something that will be here for us for a while. And I can imagine, you know, on... Um, Uh, you know, holiday time, like Easter and Christmas and that, 
when people are in their, going to be more likely to be in their homes, I could see myself doing a gig round about then uh, on, on Facebook rather than in a venue or something like that. So something I might try and keep going uh, after the after the lockdown's ended and live music's able to come back. Um, so yeah, check out the Fight the Good Fight Club and join the group and support um, support independent musicians who are um, doing a lot of work for vulnerable organisations. Um, I'm just checking how we're doing on the Ableton. What the uh, what? How far we're in? We're at thirty five, thirty six minutes. Wow, uh, I've talked a lot. I wasn't only hoping to do this for an hour, so I'm going to have to rattle through the Festa do Avanti stuff. Um, I think I'll just do that now. There was one other thing I wanted to mention, but it's not really relevant to the rest of the stuff, and I'll maybe talk about it in another podcast anyway, because I've kind of got a few ideas for next week on the go, so I'll maybe include it in that one rather than trying to cover it now, because it doesn't really dovetail with anything else that I've mentioned, so... I'm just going to take on some more water and then I'm going to tell you all about my trip to Festa do Avante in 2016. Now, Festa do Avante, for those of you that don't know, is um, it's a festival in Portugal, in Lisbon. It's organised by the Portuguese Communist Party. Uh, it's named after the Portuguese Communist Party's newspaper, which is called Avante. And it started in 1976 after the Carnation Revolution, which overthrew the fascist uh, dictatorship in Portugal. And it's been going ever since. And I I played at the 40th anniversary festival in 2016. And those were the first gigs I'd ever played outside the UK, believe it or not. Sorry, my microphone's being a bit of a dick. Those were the first gigs I'd played outside the UK, believe it or not. I've Ever since then, I don't until twenty twenty. I'd been playing. I'd played almost every. You know, I played almost every summer. I'd had gigs outside the UK, um, but those were the first ones in twenty sixteen that were outside the UK, and it's a huge festival. Uh, something like one hundred fifty thousand people go over the entire weekend. It might even be more than that. Um, I think there was. I think it was more that year. I think it was closer to two hundred thousand went that year because it was a special anniversary year. And although it's organised by the Portuguese Communist Party, um, people from all different kinds of all different walks of life and society go. It attracts massive bands, uh, po- massive Portuguese bands, a, a bands from abroad, like places in Africa. Um, there was a band from the Cape Verde Islands there playing, um, like another another places in like in parts of the in Africa that Portugal formerly colonised, which I think is a really nice touch. Um. A really nice show of solidarity there, actually. Um, and so it's a huge festival, uh, and it's one of the biggest on the on the on the festival circuit calendar in uh, in Portugal. And a lot of people want to play it. Um, and so I was really, you know, I I kind of sent my email and asking to play, half expecting to be told that sorry, uh, not not this time. Uh, and I could not believe it when they replied to me saying, yeah, yeah, we'll come and play, we'll be in touch with you later on and sort out flights, etc. Uh, I was honestly, could not believe it. I was so excited um, when I got the call um, explaining the trip to me and what was going to be happening. And it was so surreal. You know, I'd just been playing small small venues in, in Scotland and in restaurants and bars and that 
on a Friday and Saturday night, um, just trying to earn a bit of money, and it was so surreal getting a phone call from a travel agent, uh, organising my flight, uh, like I was some sort of VIP, you know, it was very, uh, it was very surreal, <laughs> um, very strange uh, experience, uh, in a good way, obviously, but very, you know, quite uh, something I wasn't used to, and um, I think the guy could tell that on the phone, um, but it was it was amazing, and um, the the whole experience was just class. Uh, the whole the whole trip, everything from the flight out to the flight back was just amazing. Um, so I got had to get a flight. You can now fly directly from Edinburgh to Lisbon. But at the time you couldn't, you had to, or I, I, or maybe you could, I don't know, but I had to get a flight from Edinburgh to Amsterdam and then Amsterdam to, to, uh, Lisbon. And, uh, so I went to Schiphol, which is like a city within a city for anyone that's not been there and anyone that has been there knows exactly what I'm talking about. There's actually a part of the airport terminal where you're walking and it's like glass floor. And if you look down, you could see all the suitcases being zip, zipping around, going to their different destinations. Like it was amazing. And I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not, uh, you know, not a particularly, you know, I'm, I'm used to traveling. I'm used to going to place to places. I've done, been fortunate enough to go on a lot of holidays, um, to great destinations. But this, this experience was like a bit of a, a bit of an eye opener for me. Um, like you know, it was like a different. It was a whole whole like new experience for me uh like you know just seeing that was like whoa this is cool you know i felt like a little bit of a kid again um traveling for the first time or something like that um um so i had to get the flight to amsterdam and while i was in amsterdam my ballot came through to vote in the labor party leadership contest in 2016 obviously i voted for jeremy um and so that was pretty cool i there i was heading out to play at a socialist festival in portugal and just before I got on the plane to Portugal, I was voting for a socialist to be leader of the Labour Party. So that was pretty cool. That was pretty. Um, aye, we it was a wee it was a wee thing, you know, the, the simple things. Sometimes that was quite nice, a nice a nice touch. Um, or it, there was yeah, I can't exactly remember what was going through my mind at the time, but looking back at it now, I, I feel like that was pretty. That was quite funny. Not something I ever expected to be doing. Um, with myself, uh, sitting in Amsterdam airport on the way to Lisbon to play at a communist party festival while voting for a socialist to be leader of the Labour Party. Um, I didn't, if I was, if you told me that when I was 14 years old, I wouldn't have had a clue what you're talking about. Um, so I got to, got the flight to Lisbon and I remember I didn't realise that, uh, Lisbon is on UK time. I thought they were on Spain time. So I remember like falling asleep on the plane, waking up thinking that we were coming into land. So I, you know, turned my phone on to flight mode and turned my iPod off and, you know, got got myself organised and got my jacket on and that. And really annoying the person sitting beside me who was still sleeping. And I remember sitting there thinking, when's the pilot going to make the announcement? Like, we're supposed to be landing in half an hour. What's going on? Uh how long have I been asleep for? Have I been asleep the whole week and I'm now on the flight home or something? Um, so I was sitting, 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 and I was like, what the... So it got past the time we were supposed to be landing and I was very close to asking the stewardess, you know, what's going on? Why haven't we landed yet? And then I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, 
see when you're setting the time on your phone, it's like London, Lisbon, Dublin. Time zone. And I thought, oh, hang on. So I got my phone on, checked the time, and I was like, oh, shit. Like, I suddenly realised that we didn't, we still had an hour to go or 45 minutes. So I had to very annoyingly take my jacket back off again, annoy the person beside me, root around in my bag, rummage around in my bag, looking for my headphones and all that to listen to my iPod again. Uh, so that was pretty frustrating because I was just excited to get to Lisbon and, and get started. Um, but when I got there, I had an airport pickup and there was a wee, there was a guy uh, standing with my, a sign with my name on it and uh, he was like, okay, uh, just wait here, I'm going to go and get the van. Um, but I'm not supposed to bring it around here. Uh, so when the van comes, you're just going to have to jump in. And I was like, oh, what? So stressed. And I was trying to keep my eye out for this van and... Uh, I was I was worried I was going to miss it as it happens I could never have missed this van, um, but when when I was standing wait when I was standing waiting on the guy come back around with the van, they just legalized um, cannabis and or the decriminalized cannabis I don't think it was legalized but they decriminalized the and you could carry a certain amount and not not be molested by the police, and um, this guy came up to me and he 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 had this like roll of cannabis that was like the size of my index finger and he was like trying to get me to buy it. <laughs> that was my first experience at Lisbon was this guy trying to sell me hash straight off the plane uh, and I obviously said no and uh, they, when I got to the festival site like next day and I told people um, apparently... Uh, but I don't know if this is true, but apparently sometimes police go undercover and try to sell drugs to, because you're not allowed to buy it on the street, you see. So police go around and try to sell drugs to, to catch you out. Um, so I didn't. So there's every trance that was like some sort of honey trap. Um, so I got taken to the hotel and I didn't really know what the hotel was like. I was staying in. I just I just assumed that it was just going to be like a, I don't know, a two or three star hotel, just somewhere to sleep before. And I got to this hotel and it was probably the nicest hotel in Lisbon. Uh, right next to Lisbon um, train station, um, beautiful bathroom, be- massive big double bed, massive big TV, I couldn't believe it, I was just like, I'm not even going to be in this room, <laughs> I'm going to be at the festival site for 12 hours a day, um, I couldn't believe it, it was, I was totally like gobsmacked, um, um, and yeah, the whole treatment, you know, I hadn't even played the gig yet, and already the treatment I'd received from the the festival organisers was just amazing, you know, they were so efficient at getting on the phone to me, you know, I had a travel agent phoning me for the flight, they'd booked all my flight, they'd obviously taken on the expenses and all that, and then put me in, like, the nicest hotel in Lisbon, I couldn't believe it, um, and as I say, I was used to playing in small venues, um, and, and, and bars and that, so it was such a different experience for me, um, to 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 be going and doing something like that. Um. So the next again day, I was getting picked up at twelve. The festival didn't start until like seven o'clock on the Friday. I was getting picked up at twelve, but there was a bit of confusion. Um. I'd brought my guitar downstairs, and the guy that came to pick me up was like, "Oh no, don't bring that! Like, don't bother with that." So I had to go back up to him and put the guitar back. And then I got down to the festival site, <laughs> and the first thing he said to me was, "Where's your guitar?" <laughs> and uh, so I was in the taxi in the transfer with um, a couple from Glasgow who were over with Charlie and the boys 
who are a, a Celtic uh, band, they do Irish songs and that, and they, they were playing at the festival as well, and two, there was a couple that were over with them, and they'd, they'd come with all the Charlie and the Boys' merchandise to sell, and um, so they were in the transfer with me, and they'd brought the they'd brought their stuff, and they were being taken back into Lisbon, and they were going to go wandering about Lisbon, and then, because Charlie and the Boys weren't playing until the Saturday, so they weren't going to be at the festival on the Friday. So the festival organisers are like, seriously mate, <laughs> you've come out to play live music and you've left your guitar. <laughs> and the, and I couldn't find the guy that told me to leave it. And I'd said, or oh, the taxi driver or the whatever, the guy told me to leave it. And they're like, no, 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 you wouldn't have done that. Like, you, we need you to sound check. We've got you, we've got you doing interviews and that as well. Like, come on, like. So I, that was a bit of a rap on the knuckles for me. And I was a bit, I was a bit annoyed because I had my guitar and I'd been told to take it back. So. I was a bit pissed off for that because um, I, I didn't want to set a bad impression and that was after the amazing treatment I got and that was what I did and I was quite annoyed at that. But anyway, I got back to the hotel. I managed to get changed because I was not appropriately dressed because it was like 40 degrees and I had jeans on and I had DMs on and that. So I managed to get back, get into uh, lighter clothes. So it, it kind of worked out. Um, grabbed my guitar, went back out. Had plenty of time for the sound check. They just rearranged it. Um, did the sound check and on the first night I was playing um, at a place um, I don't quite remember the name of the stage they had diff- the stages had different names and they all corresponded to different um, different moments uh, in the sort of international history of the, the communist movement and the labour movement um, so I think my stage was named after some after the Paris Commune um, of 1871 I might be wrong though, what it was called, like the Solidarity Stage or something like that, and it had a big picture of um of from the Paris Commune on the on the side of the stage. I think it was just called the Solidarity Stage. Now I'm thinking back on it, and um, so I had to go there uh, when I came back, and I got set up and did my sound check, and the right next to the the stage were all the um were all the international communist parties that had been invited to come. So there was the Spanish, the German, the British, Irish, you know, all of them, all of them. Any, many, the Brazilian, um, uh, Cyprus, um, I think the Iranian party was there, the Tudor party. Um, they were all there. Um, but the German communist party stall was right next to my, uh, and the German left party were there as well, Die Linke. Uh, but the German Communist Party still was right next to the stage that my gig was at. <coughs> so I did my sound check. Sun was blazing down. Uh, and I went over and spoke to the German Communists and managed to get some beer off them. Um, and, and it was just class. And just, just sat there and waited for... Because they... I had people that were like looking after different artists. Um, and while artist A was on doing their sound check, artist B was being taken to theirs, and then uh, they were coming. The artist C was getting picked up, and then they were come. You know, so they had it all organised so that you could go and pick up your different artists and bring them back to the. There was like a main bit where all the artists were supposed to be, so they didn't get lost or anything happened to them. Um, so the I came to get picked up and. Uh, by the person who was looking after me, her name was Ines. Um, we still keep in touch. She's really great. She's a great comrade. We had a great laugh while we were away. Um, while 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 we were away, while I was away at the festival, 
um and her family are are involved in helping organize the festival and are involved in organizing the uh the pcp um so she was telling me all about that and his, and like you know her involvement in, in the festival historically i suppose um and i we just had a we had a great a great laugh together and um she came to pick me up and take me back to the main sort of main behind the main stage where all the artists were kept and it was she was like oh it's dinner time and i said all right okay so you got vouchers the festival gave you vouchers to go and get food and some beer and that and again despite the amazing treatment i'd already had i was i still had quite not low expectations but you know i wasn't expecting to be given red star treatment at any point in this uh red star red carpet treatment (laughs) i got red star treatment uh at any point in this, and uh, I got to, I just expect dinner, I, just ex- I don't know what I was expecting, I was maybe a bit of past or something, I, I didn't really know what I was expecting, and got there, and all my days of the food, there was barbecue, there was steak, there was vegan food, there was squids, there was pasta, there was, oh my, I've never seen such a, you know, a, a f- spread put on, it was amazing, and the, the quality of the food, it was just cooked out of this world, and I, honestly, it was just blew my mind. And one thing as well I noticed as well is in the UK, if you eat outdoors, it flies instantly descend upon you. If there happens to be a dog in the vicinity of where you're eating, it will come around and try and like have a wee sniff at your scran. Not a fly or a. And we were right down by the water as well in Lisbon. It, it wasn't quite in Lisbon. Uh, it was it was about an hour's drive outside of Lisbon. And. Um, one thing I noticed was not a single fly came and attacked you while you were having your, having your food. Uh, I couldn't. Have, I I was quite, not like gobsmacked by it, but it was like, whoa, I, you know, that's um, I, it sort of came to my mind when when I'd finished my meal. Suddenly, I just realised I hadn't been flapping my arms about in frustration, trying to get a blue bottle to leave me alone. Um. So yeah, and, and that that was that made the meal even better that I'd just been able to sit and enjoy it. It might have been the fact that I was doused in like anti mosquito stuff and that chased them all away. That might have had something to do with it. I'm not entirely sure. Um But in any event Um <coughs> Excuse me. In any event, had my tea, got taken to the gig, did the gig, absolutely a g- incredible show. Um the audience was so sound to me, um, so nice. Um, it was sort of like you did three songs and then the next person came on. You did another three and the next person came on and you did not you know like that. Um, which was a nice way of doing it actually because, you know, I, I, I it was a nice it was a nice way of doing it. Um, and um, I've just forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, the audience were just class and um, all the. All was, all the stalls stopped what they were doing and watched the gig. Um, all the um, yeah, it was it was just class. It was just amazing. And um, the I came off the stage. Um, I'd done my three songs and there was still a couple of other acts to finish their last three songs. So I came off the stage and came around the front, 
and I was trying to take pictures and appreciate what was going on and audience members were coming up to me and talking to me and I had to get Ines to translate because they were mostly Portuguese asking me stuff and wanting to know where they could buy my CD and you had to take your CDs to like a central point, you couldn't sell them on your own um, I can't quite remember the reason for that but I think it was to do with licensing so you had to take them to a central point and there was a guy who sold all the band's CDs and he took a cut and that and you, you got your you got most of the money anyway and one of the deals was for selling the cds you had to go and sign your cd do a signing at some point in the weekend that was like one of the deal part of the deal so I, we did that and that, that suited me fine i'd never done that before so that was another new experience um so i had to like what every time somebody was asking me where my cd was where i could where they could buy my cd and that ines was reminding me and remember and telling that you're doing a signing tomorrow <laughs> which was like something uh as i keep saying you know i was just playing in these random little venues in scotland and then being asked to um do a cd signing was just bizarre uh so i had to keep reminding people of that which felt a little bit um a little bit vain but i there you go um that was part of the deal for selling cds so that, that was the way it had to be done and um while that 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 sort of thing happened to me the, the entire entire weekend um there was one time i'd i think it was the so that that was the, uh, i don't want to i'm trying to do it day by day so that was the end of the friday and the the festival has its own theme tune it's called uh, it's called carvalesa i think i've pronounced that right and it's a brilliant song i'll put the link to that in the description on soundcloud as well actually so you can listen to it it's a great little instrumental piece the the portuguese comrades uh love 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 the song uh the festival goers love the song and um it's it's just great and um on the friday night before the music started there was a big parade through the festival camp and there was speeches and then the festival begun and they played this song which opened the festival and everybody's jumping around and there's like fireworks going off and the flags being unveiled and there's singing and there's dancing um, and they played that at the start of each day and at the end of each day. So I did my gig and Ines said to me, come on, we need to get back to the main stage, you have to see what's about to happen. So you go back to the main stage where there was like thousands of people, I'm talking like 30,000, 40,000 people standing on this little grass in front field in front of the main stage and they started playing the Carvalesa and all these people started jumping around and it was just honestly it was so class um such a great um I don't think I've ever seen anything obviously you see bands you see bands and stuff at Glastonbury and they play like the the big riff and their big song and they, they start going for it. But I don't think I've seen this was like pre-recorded music that was being played and the, every day they played the fest they played that song to signal the start of the festival and people would run to the main stage and they'd dance around and then um oh hang on somebody's at my door excuse me a second I'm going to have to pause this sorry about that um somebody making a delivery to me I didn't think that was coming today. Um, so yeah, everybody would run to the main stage at the start of every day and they'd all dance around for the song and, um, then they'd do the same at the end of the night and everybody would dance around and they'd have fireworks on the stage and, and it was just class and, um, actually made you quite emotional seeing people, you know, taken to a festival like that and feeling like it wasn't just something, wasn't it just something that, um, 
you went to and you saw a band and then you went home and and it felt like something that was theirs you know they were they'd bought into the the festival and the whole the whole like culture of it it wasn't just an event it was like a it was like a part of them uh, almost as how it felt it was quite it was quite like moving to see people all do all know as soon as they heard the sort of first couple of notes they all bolted to the stage and they all stood around waiting for it at the end of the night and they were all chanting uh, PCP, PCP, uh, Portuguese Communist Party, and um, or Parti, Partido Comunista Portuguese, um, and they were all chanting that, and then the music would start, and they'd all they'd all cheer and clap, and it was just class, like you know, I, um, and as I say, it was all, it felt like a festival that was um, for the people as well as by the people, you know, it's people who were passionate about left-wing politics that organized the event um as well as um people that were going to it uh, and and they the people that organized it enjoyed it as much as um and not in a big-headed way not in like oh look at what we can do you know actually enjoyed the quality of entertainment and uh that they were they, they booked um ah, that's maybe me blowing my own trumpet there actually i didn't really, didn't quite think that through that sentence through anyway uh, so that was the Friday. On the Saturday, I arrived and you got picked up at the same time every morning because they couldn't be driving you about all the time. They had to pick up. Although the festival site isn't a massive, it was obviously a, quite a big festival site, so it's quite big. Um, so they had, but they had to drive people around so the band could get their drums to the stage and their guitars and that, you know. So it wasn't a, it wasn't feasible to have vans going in and out of Lisbon all day. Um, as well, so you got picked up at like I don't know ten o'clock in the morning or something. I can't remember. Excuse me, and you got to this campsite about twelve. I think I got picked up at twelve, eleven or something. I can't remember. Got taken to the campsite, and um, so I was there. My gig wasn't until six, so I had a bit of free time to just go wandering around the um, to just go wandering around the um, just go wandering around the festival uh site and because of the freight because i was there on a friday and i had to take my guitar and i had to go back to lisbon come back do the sound check i had to stay in one place so i could get picked up and taken back to get my tea then come back to the stage do the gig uh see the final end of the first day then i was in the car driven back to the hotel at night which is like an hour away i didn't really get to see the festival um and so i went out and walked around about and it wasn't just a music festival, you know. I knew there was other stuff there, but geez, like there was music there. There was f- there was a food festival. There was a five-a-side football tournament. There was clothes that you could buy. Um, they had like an art gallery, art galleries there. They had a, a history sort of museum thing there of the PCP and the Carnation Revolution to overthrow the fascist dictatorship. There was, um, oh my God, the stuff I can't. There's probably stuff I've forgotten about. There was obviously stalls we. Uh, communist party stalls and political stalls you can go buy stuff from there was um musicians uh there was a cd bit we there was a bit in cd you could go and buy cds and t-shirts and merch and there was obviously other stages you could go and watch there was uh food dotted all over the place there was little bars dotted all over the place it was just it was just a massive site and um i just wandered for hours and uh enjoyed different some of the food i wasn't I had vouchers to go and get food and I was, I think the courteous thing I should have done was to wait and get the food that was being put on by the artists, but 
couldn't help myself. Like the Italian Communist Party had a stall selling pasta, so I went and got a wee bowl, a wee plate of it, and it was out of this world, man. Like seriously, seriously good pasta. Um, and it's not hard to mess up pasta, but seriously, this was amazing. Like seriously, it was it was very very good. Um, uh, and I just you know the entire time was just like this is this is mad. Like I can't. I'm so fortunate and so privileged to be here. Um, playing at this festival, experiencing all this, um, and, you know, I'm just a wee guy from Scotland that just plays in a couple of bars, um, the biggest gig I'd, I'd played at before that was for the, the I'd played it, I played a couple of big gigs, obviously, and, you know, um, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to go and play the festival, uh, I had stuff to show the festival to say, or, you know, I can play at this level. Um, but nothing, nothing the size of a festival like that, you know. And and I just expected to maybe play in like a wee stage, over to the side or something. But I'd got, you know, I'd been put on good stages at good times, um, and it was just treated so well and so politely, um, by the by the festival organisers and just the, the scale of the festival was just incredible. Um, the different stuff that was going on and everybody, all the musicians you know, obviously all the musicians, it's, it's something musicians wanted to play at, but people wanted to come and play at the Fireside Tournament just as much as some musicians wanted to play at the, play at the festival, um, which is just unbelievable. That that just shows you the, the, just showed me the level of, and variety, but the, the pool that this festival had in, in Portugal was just incredible. Um, so on the Saturday, I played two gigs. My first gig was at, um, it was a festival, it was a stage named after something, and I've forgotten what it was called, it was, uh, it will come to me, um, I think it was called, it was named after, mm, no, I've forgotten, named after some, an event in the history, it was, it was like the second stage, there was the main stage, and this was the second biggest stage, um, and I didn't realise it was the second biggest stage before I got to play there, and I suddenly got quite nervous because, you know, if you're listening to this, you probably know my music, you've probably heard my music somewhere, and so I was listening, I was getting ready to go on the stage, and I just play sort of acoustic folk music, and I had a wee look, and it was massive, and and I was really, really nervous um, that, that the crowd were going to be bored, and they were all just going to disappear after three songs. Um... So I, I got out on the stage, did my started my set, and I played my three songs, and people didn't leave, <laughs> and they seemed to be really enjoying it, and um, they were cheering and clapping along, and some folk were even managing to sort of like dance about a bit and jump around a little bit, and um, I remember my only complaint was it was in a tent. <coughs> Excuse me, it was in a tent, and. Um, they, it was 40 degrees outside, so it was like in a gazebo, and it was 40 degrees outside, and I had these massive big spotlights on me, and I was, I have never sweated like that on stage in my life, Um, I don't even think I'd sweated like that out running or playing football or anything like that, I was sweating buckets, that was my only, it's not even a complaint, it's just something that's something you've got to put up with, I suppose, Uh, playing at festivals and that, but I was, I was sweating, and I then went for being nervous about playing the stage to being like, my god, these people are going to be like, what a sweaty, sweaty bastard this guy is, he keeps wiping his face every at the end of every song, 
So, and I had to have like three different towels brought chucked to me on the stage because uh, I was sweating that much. Um, but the, the gig was the gig went really well. Um, I ended with a Bob Dylan song, and the crowd loved loved that. Um, and um, I was trying to get off stage, and people were trying to talk to me when I was leaving. When I was trying to go, and the the sound engineers were like, "Get off the damn stage, man!" Like the next band are due to come on and get set up, and you're in the way. <laughs> so I had to go. And uh, when I got to the the backstage area, and um, I managed to get like a bit of a wash in that before I went on the stage. Excuse me, I'm going to say some water again. My throat's being a prick. I came out and I got changed, and there was a guy waiting for me. And he, Ines came over and she said, "Oh." This this guy here from Barnasans Festival in Barcelona. Um, they do a festival every year. She explained the festival to me. Their left wing festival is really popular in Barcelona. They do it every year. Um, she told me the history of it, and and um, she said he wants to book you for his festival. And I was like, what? I and I could not believe it because before I was due to go on the stage, I was so nervous and so tense about it. Um, and didn't expect that. I expected everybody to leave after about ten minutes. Um, and and they came over, and he his name his name was Pera Camps, um, and he he's from Barcelona. He um, he he's involved in the the left in Barcelona, United Left, I think, in Barcelona, and um, he was very active against the Franco regime, and uh, he organises the Barnasans Festival, and um he wanted me to come and play and I was just like whoa like and he was so nice he was so polite to me and gave me so much respect um uh, in just that five minutes that we were talking and he took my card I took his and he, he they got in touch with me about a couple of months later after the festival and booked me to go out and play uh and I'll, when the time comes in, in March next year I'll maybe do I'll do the same thing for this because that was another incredible festival and I was treated incredibly well um and it's such a contrast to the live music experience in 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 Scotland in my opinion but anyway that's a different matter we'll come on cover that a little bit in a second um so 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 there was that uh that experience and then I left the gig and there was like I, I left I went to leave the stage area to go and get my dinner before because I was due to play another gig on a stage called Cafe Concerto which was um well, it's kind of as it says it was right. It was in the restaurant area, so you were kind of playing while people were having their tea and that, which was quite a nice touch after playing the quite a big stage. It was quite exhilarating, but you know, it takes a lot of energy out of you because you're constantly like thinking about the next song and trying to keep people. I was trying constantly trying to keep people on side. I was, as I say, I was terrified people were just going to leave. Um, and uh, but it was really nice, and um, it was one of my. No, I don't want to say my preferred gig for the weekend, but it was it was certainly it was as good as the others. But it was different, but still as good. You know, um, there wasn't people jumping about and clapping like right down the front and, and all that. But people were having their tea and were really into what was going on. And before that, there was like a little agitprop play that had been on the stage. So it was it was like a sort of like cabaret stage as much as it was uh, a live um, a live music stage and but the only th- issue that <laughs> happened we'd done the sound check and it went fine and we got the lights all sorted but then suddenly we went on stage and the lights went on the blink and the spotlight was right in my face full full brightness and the guy had to stand 
with his hand on the light. I kept saying to him, man, you need to sort the light out because it was like right in my face, blinding me. It was hot. It was still really hot, so it was really warm, um, and uh, it kind of maybe looked like I wanted that spotlight right in my face a wee bit as well. Uh, and I don't possess the Portuguese language skills to tell people I'm not that vain uh, to have a big bright white uh, spotlight right on me. And you can actually see a video on YouTube. I'll share that in the, the description as well. Me playing on stage there, doing one of my songs at that gig. But the guy had to stand with his hand the entire gig on the light to keep it uh, at a certain level. Otherwise, it just went full blast right in, right in my face. And I didn't know that until I came off the stage. So uh, so I can't thank that guy enough for, uh, for, for that intervention. But there was an agitprop group on before me and they'd had like a little stool. And I just thought it was a stool that was on the side of the stage and I used it for setting my harmonicas on. The poor guy had to stand and listen to my whole gig and wait for me to finish so he could get his stool back that I would that, I'd, uh, that I had uh, redistributed uh, into my possession. Um, so that was pretty funny. Um, and then at night after that gig, I went and watched um, Charlie and the Boys. They were on the same stage that I'd played on earlier in the afternoon and after that I'd been given like free reign to go out and do what I wanted to at night so I met up with some friends that were over from the UK and uh, I had some friends from Spain as well who'd come to see me uh, from Barcelona who'd come to see me play at uh, the, the gig early in that afternoon on the second stage and we met up and had a few beers um, and it was just class uh, I know I keep saying that but it was the whole experience was just brilliant and it was just such a different uh you know, there's the old joke that there ain't no party like a communist party, uh, but this was like one big party, and it was just, but it was also very political and very conscious about the sort of atmosphere that was being created, and very egalitarian, it was very cheap to get in, I think, I, I think I might be wrong, but I think a weekend pass was only 30 quid, so 10 a day, and bear in mind that there was all this going on, there was plays, there was live music, there was football you could go and watch, there was art galleries, there was exhibitions, uh, museum exhibitions, there was food, there, I think I've said that already, there was clothes, um, like there was international stalls, you could go to, go to watch political debates and discussion and there were so many different things happening and it was such a very conscious but very egalitarian event. Um, so the Sunday, I was only supposed to do three gigs, but the the young communists wanted me to play on their stage on the Sunday afternoon. So I went and did three songs for them, and I had the rest of the day to myself. Um, so and Ines, um, all her bands had gone as well. the The festival, um, didn't wind down, but I think there was a a lot of people sort of packed up and went on the Sunday because that was when their flights back were. There was still a lot of events still to happen, but it wasn't as uh, as busy. Uh, there wasn't as much uh, going on. I seem to remember. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I I might be a bit wrong on that. Uh, but I do remember having a nap on the Sunday, um, so that was something. I remember falling asleep outside the uh, the, the sort of main festival organizers' little hut that they had, and I woke up and there was like a couple of children sitting staring at me wondering what the hell I was doing and I was having a nice little Sunday afternoon nap in the Portuguese sun uh, and I remember springing up from a nap and being seeing the kids staring at me and being very conscious and then just like walking very quickly away from the location of my nap feeling quite embarrassed for some reason <laughs> uh, so I did the gig on the Sunday for the the, the Yota Say Pay 
GJCP, um, Juventude Communist Portu- Communista Portuguese, I think is how you pronounce it, and um, then had the, the day to myself, and Ines took me to, I think it was her family member was helping run a bar uh, on, on the festival site, and they did this thing, I think it translated into crushed ice, but to me it was just like a slush puppy with a fuckload of rum and lime and it was out of this world uh so refreshing i mean it was like 40 degrees and i'm not exaggerating it was about 38 40 degrees heat somehow i didn't get sunburnt i was wearing a lot of mosquito repellent a lot of sun cream um it was very dusty as well so like at the festival site so it was very acrid heat was is the word i'd use and um so the Sunday I just got to enjoy the festival and I went to go around and I got some bought some t-shirts to take home. I got to watch some live music. I sat and listened into a debate. Um, I met up with some friends again and had some beers and um, got to listen to the final speeches, even though they're all in Portuguese. But anyway, on the main stage before the festival closed up and um, there was a big firework parade and I yeah that was that was about it and I remember getting in the van to go home at like 11 o'clock on the Sunday night and uh, <laughs> didn't get back to the hotel until two in the morning because the traffic was that bad getting out of the site and onto the bridge over back to Lisbon so aye um and then I, I actually don't really remember my flight back um from Lisbon to Amsterdam I, I really don't remember much of that I remember needing to charge my phone quite badly when I got to Amsterdam airport and struggling to find a place to charge it. But I don't really remember much of my flight. I don't really remember Lisbon Airport at all. Um, every time I'd think, oh, this happened to me, it wasn't Lisbon Airport that was, it happened. It was it's Madrid Airport that I'm remembering. Um, so I can't really remember my flight at all back. Um, but I remember packing my suitcase at the airport, at the hotel that the the Sunday night, and having bought like so many stuff, and I only took a small suitcase and like shoving it into there, shoving all my stuff in there. I bought some books as well, sh- badges and that, shoving them in my suitcase, trying to see what I could get in my guitar case to compensate, and um, and the whole time just like being so exhilarated with what I just experienced, but on the other hand, being like so gutted that it was over, um, because the whole experience was class. As I keep saying, and you know, I'd be standing. There was one when I was standing getting the crushed ice on the Sunday afternoon in the queue. Um, there was this person. This person came up to me and was like, "Oh, um, you you played, didn't you, yesterday? I saw you on the at the stage, and oh, you were really good. And you know, it was so nice to to, to see somebody from outside Portugal so young coming to play for us and." you just don't get that experience here like you play at festivals in the U- Scotland and you get people that say you know thanks for playing that was a good set or whatever but it, normally when you just walk normally if you're just walking past people to have somebody approach you like that was so surreal and um humbling and well quite a humble quite a humble experience really um or was it humbling is that the right word but it was quite um you know, it was, it was, it was, it felt significant for me, and I don't think I'll forget that. And I was quite sad when I came back to Scotland because I was really pumped up and excited after that, and really wanted to do, really, really wanted to do a lot with my music when I came back. I had such great ideas, and the scene here just doesn't, doesn't have anything like that. The labour movement doesn't have anything like that. 
um and the Scottish music scene just is so com- so competitive. Uh, I don't think I don't know of any festivals where maybe I maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm out of the festival circuit in Scotland, and I I just didn't I just I just didn't go to these things when they're, they're on. I don't know, but I just don't know of anything like that in in Scotland um, or um, the UK for that matter. In terms of the, the sort of egalitarianism, the way that everybody feels like it's their festival, um, the different variety of things that's going on, uh, you could go up and speak to somebody on a stall and just chat to them about the politics in their country and not get a punch in the face like you probably would in Scotland. Um, I'm not necessarily get punched in the face, but you, you know, I'm exaggerating, but you, you, I wouldn't imagine going to a political festival and going up and asking somebody about something in their country and getting into a political discussion with them, um, or or even somebody going to a political festival, you know, if I go to a political event in Scotland, not necessarily a festival, let's say Edinburgh May Day, and there's like a, a socialist party stall, I won't go up and ask them anything because there's a chance we won't agree on something and it'll end in an argument, and there's no need in that, there's no need for that for any of us, so I just avoid it. It isn't there in Portugal you you felt like if they went there and they said oh this is something that we do in Germany and you think oh that doesn't sound like something that would work Germany for example um and you said that to them they would they would discuss it with you whereas you kind of feel like if you said that to somebody here you it wouldn't end well uh it just end in an argument um and name calling probably so that kind of brings me on to my next point and I've this podcast is really long um really long but I've not done one for two, for two bloody months. So I I, I just want to kind of do maybe do fifteen twenty minutes more, and just sort of ask like that on that question on that sort of issue of that doesn't nothing like that exists in Scotland or in the UK. Um, what can the left in the UK take from Festa do Avanti, and what um what what cultural strategies? can they employ i mean first and foremost first and foremost um we do have the world transformed uh every year at the labor party conference this year it's been done online but it's nothing even close to the festa do avanti i mean i remember last year in brighton i went to watch a poetry slam that was being run by uh attila the stockbroker um I got into I got I got in and I watched that and I was going to do a poem but there was wasn't any space so I just kind of listened to everybody else it was good fun and uh, at about nine o'clock at night I think it was there was a big crowd it was quite a small tent big crowd everybody fucked off right they just left the tent and they went across the way because the World Transformed had booked Jeremy Corbyn to do his main speech at the World Transform Festival at the exact same time as this poetry slam was on so suddenly. There was a big crowd and there was a good atmosphere at the poetry and then there was no atmosphere and there was no crowd because they were all watching Jeremy Corbyn doing his speech and all that was in there was the poets who had still to do their do their set and and it's just the it's just such a stupid way of organising a festival and, and that sort of stuff happens on the left all the time. There's I've done a few Corbyn events and I did one. Um, I've done a few, and the same thing happens. Corbyn's schedule changes when he went, or Corbyn's schedule would change. He'd 
be billed to speak at the very end after all the music, but he'd want to do it halfway through so he'd go home or go to bed because he'd had a he'd had a long day or, or or something like that. He had to or he had to go to another event in the night or in the day or whatever. And so he'd speak in the middle of the thing. And if everybody would leave after he spoke, because they only came to see Corbin speak. The the music there, the music was like an extra facet. It was like an extra thing uh, there, and it was obviously quality music. I'm not saying it was just there for the sake of it. It was obviously good quality, relevant political uh, music and poetry. And when Corbin was speaking. Everybody would leave, uh, and that that and and I couldn't believe that that had happened a couple of times in Scotland. And I couldn't believe the world transformed, which is meant to be like the flagship socialist festival uh, of ideas that they'd repeated the same thing. Um, and and <clears throat> and all the, all the poets that were that were at the slam were really pissed off. Um, and it doesn't send a good message. It makes it it makes culture look like a shit priority, a low priority for the labour movement. And um. um and it shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be a low priority. It should be. It should be very high up. I mean, just to put it bluntly. I mean, how do you expect to run? How does? How can any movement expect to run society, whilst letting culture remain and out culture remain out of its out? Not have a a a, a cultural um, approach, a cultural outlook. Um, you know. Culture is, uh, from a Marxist point of view, is so important for the distribution of ideas, distribution of I- ideology. The, the, you know, we're talking about media, music, video, film, and all that. <coughs> How can you give that such a low priority when you're talking about a fundamental reorganisation of society? Um, and that's how it comes across. If you're going to put the leader of the biggest party in Europe on doing his speech at the time when there's a, when you've organised a poetry slam. I mean, it's just disrespectful, and um, and to my mind, that didn't happen at Festa do Avanti. You know, the leader of the Communist Party went up and did his speech, but that was it. There was no other events on. You you went to his thing or you went to a bar. They were obviously still open, but there was no other events, so that nobody didn't because everybody went to listen to his speech. Even that's what I was saying at the start. Even if you weren't a member of the Communist Party, you still went and listened to what they had to say, and so everybody would go and listen to uh, the speech. Um, and 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 maybe they'd learnt from experience, but or maybe it was just obvious to them. I don't know, but um, that was quite disappointing to see that. And um, the same thing happened again during the Labour Party general election campaign, where I'd I'd been booked to play at a John McDonnell event, and John McDonnell was meant to speak at the end of the day, but he had to he'd he'd been booked to he had to go back down to England. I think he was. I can't remember whatever it was, and so he had to speak in the middle of the afternoon. He did his thing, and everybody left. Um, and if you were unfortunate to be in the second half of the evening, you had a bit, you had a handful of people watching you. Um, and it's and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, and I know the event organizer quite well, so there's lots of reasons that 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 um. That especially in an election campaign where things change all the time, but you know it's you lose if you're trying to win artists over, you lose people. That's how you lose artists. That's how they don't come back. That's how they they might not be critical of you like like I am right now. I suppose probably just talk myself out of a gig at the world transformed, but you know 
they that's how you lose people. Um, and I'm not being critical for critical sake, for the sake of criticism. You know, we have to think about these things properly. And if we're going to have a joined up, joined up, connected program, you know, we have to think about these things properly and more effectively. And you know, that's just not a way to do it. Um, and you're just going to force drive people away from from the movement, and they're not going to want to come and play for you. And when you do eventually start getting your act together on culture they're going to be skeptical and think well you've said this before and you treated you know you had me on while you had Corbyn speaking or I was supposed to be on before McDonnell and he spoke and everybody like you know what I mean stuff like that I'm not going to labor the point I've done enough uh, pardon the pun um so what, what what can we you know what can we what can we do I think the first thing we should be doing and, and I've the labor movement should be commissioning artworks um you know, we're a force. The labour movement's a force in society. Sometimes it seems like it doesn't want to have that responsibility. Other times it seems like it wants more responsibility. Who knows? Um, it ebbs and flows. But you know, we are a force in society. The labour movement. The trade unions have played a massive role in getting the furlough scheme, and especially at the start, they were at the forefront of organising the the country's um, response to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, as the Tories have shown themselves to be a bunch of right-wing pseudo-fascist bastards, uh, the trade unions have been forced out and demonised, particularly over the schools um, and getting kids back to school and that. But at the start of the, the pandemic, the trade unions were front and central um, to, to the response. Uh, and that just shows that they, they, they do have a place in society. But we have to have a cultural expression as well. Um, you know, we have to have a, a not just not just a sort of like oh we're serious about serious about uh changing society, but hey, we can also put on plays and have fun. You know, that's it's not really about um you know, I don't like that bread and roses distinction that's prevalent in the labour movement because what some people would call bread, you know, the artist calls what some people would call roses fun and entertainment, the artist calls work. Um and it's not necessarily fun or entertaining, uh you know, if you're at work, is it fun and entertaining? Not all the time, and probably not not really ever, depending on your job. And sometimes for the artist, it's not fun and entertaining either. It's hard work, there's a lot of practice, a lot of labour goes into it. So we have to understand that side of it, that we have to get better at understanding that. And that's kind of what I'm getting at when I'm talking about uh, showing a bit more respect for people when you're organising events and not putting them on, clashing with a keynote speaker, for example. But we we also have to have a cultural expression that shows that we're serious as a movement um, about organising people, about supporting people, about them that puts across our culture and our politics and our and our I suppose simplest way of putting it is putting across our way of life, and um, we we need to we need to expand our cultural um, our cultural offering. Um, to be quite frank, I mean, the the Labour Party manifestos in the last election, they had some stuff on it, but most of it boiled down to expanding trade union rights and increasing wages and ending the cuts, which is fair enough. But you know, that doesn't really. Most small venues break even if they're lucky. Most bands don't really get much income. Um. There's not a lot of places to play. There's been a lot of places closed, turned into flats, or they've just you know they've um a lot of, yeah a lot of places maybe only a lot of towns maybe only had one venue and it's gone you know and there didn't really seem to be much 
in that. So we need to talk about massively expanding our the the culture and arts sector. Um, and I don't really think we do do that at the moment. Um, I'm not going to talk too much more because my throat's getting quite sore. I'm a poet, I don't know it. I'm going to put a link to my article that I wrote for Conter um, in May. I'm going to put a link to that because I talk quite a lot about this, about what the what a labour movement, uh, what a socialist society, a socialist government should do for culture and the arts and how it should be expanded and moved, not moved out of the cities, but expanded beyond the cities of like Edinburgh, Glasgow, London, Manchester and so on. Expand beyond that and put it in small towns and communities. Um, you know, one thing for me is um, we sh- every every town of about twenty thousand people, maybe smaller, should should have a certain number of libraries and a theatre, a music venue. You know, a, you know things like that. Something like that is what we something like that is what we need. You know, uh, and I, I don't think we're talking about that. We are making we're saying arguing for right things about trade union rights, increasing wages, and stopping the cuts and closing of venues, and that that's that has to be that's step one but where it is at the moment 90% of people maybe maybe 80% of people that work in the art sector will tell you what we have at the moment is not working um, and we need to be bold if we're going to be bold and radical on reorganizing uh, reorganizing energy production for example we need to be bold and radical in organizing uh, culture and shifting away from uh, big business sponsorship of art galleries um like bp investing in art galleries we need to move away from really precarious uh, incomes for artists and people that work in venues and we need to expand the number of venues that are available to people to go and play in um it'll be interesting to see if the the facebook live thing and doing gigs live on online if that continues and if that offers a different avenue but i mean that's not really. I don't see that as being a, as being much of an alternative for for bands. I can't really see somebody. Maybe I'm wrong. It's I, but I can't see. You think about bands who have broken through, um, and and they've all they've all done it by playing in small venues, uh, and I can't see, a band breaking through online having the same traction. I, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe YouTube has revol- maybe maybe YouTube has revolutionised the way bands are discovered in inverted commas, but I still think if that were the case, then small venues wouldn't still have the pull and attraction that they do um, to to people who love live music, um, and that's that's still where bands cut their teeth and get their experience, and um, I can't see that changing. But maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I wouldn't have said ten years ago that we'd all be working from home, um, and that there would be a struggle to get people to work in an office again. So maybe I'm wrong. But I still think that we need to need to widen our gaze. And as I say, the first thing we should be doing is fighting the cuts. But we should also be commissioning work. And as I said, that should include paintings and poems, songs, sculptures, even and even films. You know, films are a big medium. You can uh, make a film, a decent film, on a not massive budget, put it on Vimeo, you, you know, 
we're only limited by our imagination and our imaginations are, are sadly quite limited at the moment on when it comes to culture and um we should be doing more live music events there's lots of musicians in and around the labor movement that want to play that want to be associated with the labor movement and our politics and um we should be doing that we should be encouraging that there's playwrights that are in and around there's live comedians there's painters there's poets there's cartoonists there's a there's a I don't want to say a plethora because I'm not entirely sure that that's accurate but there's a, a there's a pool of left leaning um, socialist minded um, artists out there who want to be associated with the labour movement and um, you know we need to expand in our our gaze and we need to recognise that we are a, we are we are a force in society and we can we can. Uh, we can make a difference and we need to put in our culture that we that I'm talking about commissioning we need to be putting forward our ideals of solidarity and egalitarianism and you know something like what we've got at fest what something like the fe- festa do avanti you wouldn't you, you couldn't do that um you couldn't just sit down and say right in six months time we're going to have a festival and we're aiming to get 150,000 people there it obviously wouldn't work like that um but there's stuff there that, that the labour movement could easily do on individual basis. Like, you know, they had an art gallery um, or a, an art exhibition at Festa do Vanti. The labour movement could easily do that. Could easily um, organise something like that. Have a space in a trade union office, advertise advertise it on social media, etc, etc. Get an art get an artist to come and display their work in a trade union office or something like that. The labour movement could easily organise and they kind of do with uh, May Day, but they could easily organise a big festival or a big annual event where you've got musicians and speakers and things like that. But maybe have, but maybe vary the, but maybe have more than one and have it on different dates that are important in the labour movement's calendar and um, in different countries. But in the UK, and in particular, talking about my own experience, and and we could easily be commissioning. Uh, a book of poems to talk about. I mean, the, there's a great thing being done now by uh, by Conter, a mate of mine, Ewan Gibbs, is helping organise it, called Workers' Stories. And it's workers who are working on the front line of the coronavirus pandemic, talking about their experiences working during the pandemic. We could easily be commissioning things like that into a book. We could easily be commissioning a book of poems Um about about the pandemic easily be doing that um you could do it cost effective there's lots of independent publishers out there that would do a good price um you could do an ebook you could the the i don't even know if the trade union movement has like a weekly podcast there should easily there should be a weekly podcast um that the trade union movement can do um and as i say we're just limited by the scope of our imagination and um I don't think these are necessarily new or revolutionary ideas. They're certainly not new. They're certainly not something I've come up with. Um, but the, we just need to... We we need to um, recognise, first of all, how important the labour movement is in society. And it's shown that through this pandemic. And we have to develop that with works of art, in my opinion. And the Festa do Avanti is a brilliant example and if you have all the different constituent parts, eventually you could, you could build 
a whole thing like Festa do Avanti, where it all comes together at one point in the year. Um, but it would take it would take a lot of work, and I think um, um, yeah, it would take a lot of work and a, a recognition of of our of our place and and what we can achieve, what the Labour movement can achieve. Right. Well, that's well over an hour and a half. Uh, podcast is supposedly only supposed to be forty five minutes to an hour, so that's a long podcast. So I'm going to go now. I need to go to Tesco. My throat's packing in. Um, I'm going to have a look at what that parcel is and see if it's in good nick that came. I'm sorry I had to stop and and uh, start a couple of times there during that. <clears throat> and I hope you enjoyed this. And if you did, please um, consider becoming a patron to my podcast and check out the links that I'm going to be dropping in the description. Uh, okay. Happy hunting. Stay safe. Um, don't be a prick. Uh, the pandemic's not over yet. Um, be sensible. Uh, think about yourself and think about others too. And um, try to give yourself a bit of a break as well if you're having a hard time just now. Try to... Um, it's not easy. I know that from my own experience of kicking myself up the arse for no reason. But um, just try maybe one day just giving yourself a bit of peace to just sit and do nothing. Like that. Feel that silence.